Janice Levick. This is my lovely wife, Tracy. Hi, I'm John Rudnick. We're Barry and Anita Chenault. My name's Edward Devlin. My name is Rosalie Devlin. Hi, we are Brent and Sheila Howell. My name is Matt Leisman. Hi, my name is Hannah Rollins. My name is Chad Peterson. Before I knew Christ, even though I had like a lot of friends and a really good community, I was still kind of alone. I was definitely trying to find my like self-worth and everything and what other people thought about me instead of finding my worth from God. I found God on TikTok. I was just scrolling through and it was a bunch of videos about Jesus and then I started to look into it. I watched some YouTube videos on it and then bought a Bible. And the TikTok videos that I would watch, they really just went over how much God loves us. The fact that God loves us that much to send His Son to die for us, really just, I was like, I have to be a part of that. I didn't grow up in a Christian home or anything. So yeah, it is hard in my own faith walking when I don't have my parents by my side in it. My best friend, she invited me to church. We had met a couple years ago. We started playing volleyball together. And then one day we were at a tournament and we both saw each other reading our Bibles. And then we started our own Bible study. Our Bible studies, they would be at either a Starbucks or Panera, or sometimes just in our own living rooms. One thing that I would want other people to know is to just pray about everything. There's nothing too small that you think that you can't bring up to God because that's not true. You should bring up every little thing that you're going through, every big thing that you're going through because He really does want to hear it. You're going to get your notes out and turn to Matthew chapter 6. I just want to thank Hannah for sharing her story. Um, she's sitting right over here, so I think she's taking autographs after the service is over today. I love it. God's going to reach people however he's going to reach people. Um, and then we just got to help people continue to follow him. Church, have you ever been sick and tired of something? I'm talking about so sick and tired of something that you wanted to head a completely different direction. So sick and tired of something that maybe you wanted to punch a hole in the wall, maybe even punch somebody in their face. In fact, if you ever wanted to punch somebody you were sick and tired of and they're sitting in this room right now, raise your hand up, right? Raise your hand up. Uh, prayer team would love to talk with you guys after church is over today. Here's just a couple of things that I'm really sick and tired of, and these aren't in your notes or anything, but these are just for me. And again, I use this maybe as a little bit of a counseling time for me on Sunday morning. I am sick and tired of pollen. I can't stand it. Twice a year, it feels like nature is attacking me. Right around spring, Right around fall, a couple of weeks, if not months before that, I start popping a Claritin or a Zyrtec every single week because ever since I moved to Virginia about 12 years ago, every single fall and spring, I feel like nature is attacking me. Another thing I'm pretty sick and tired of is the news. I know I need to stay informed, but it just seems like nowadays with the news, I'll start watching it. I'll have to go through a season where I have to fast from the news, delete the apps off of my phone, stop watching it. Because as I'm watching, I'll get so angry or feel so anxious because it's so opinionated. It's so polarizing. I'm so sick and tired of the way the news is being done nowadays. And then one more thing I'm sick and tired of is politics. Man, I'm tired of the rhetoric and division. 
Have you ever noticed like it was supposed to be called the House of Representatives? They were supposed to be representing us as citizens, but it seems like more and more nowadays, like they're more representing just their parties or even their own agendas. And again, so polarizing, so divisive, primarily focused on their own interest. But more than any of those things, what I'm just tired of is the brokenness that is caused by sin. Sometimes we do look at the news. Sometimes we do look at what's happening in Washington. And we can literally feel the brokenness caused by all of that in our culture. But at the end of the day, all of the brokenness that we experience in the world is caused by our sin. It's caused by our sin that produces brokenness in us and around us. So is there a solution? Today we're wrapping up the last part of our series, the part that's about prayer. God is not a genie in a bottle or some type of wishing well that you pop a couple of quarters in and then out pops the husband or wife that you've been praying for. He's not a genie in the bottle or a wishing well where you pop a couple of things in, then out pops a brand new cat or that Tesla that you've been hoping to get. Prayer is a reminder that God is holy, that he's transcendent, that he's so far above anything that we could have thought, hoped, or imagined. But it's also a reminder that God is imminent. He wants to be close. He wants to have a relationship with us, even as sinful beings. God wants to be close to us. And we are to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not a political agenda, not a cultural agenda, not even our own agenda, but his kingdom agenda. Prayer is to be powerful and effective. It is foundational it is relational, and it is positional. But see, our greatest enemy is sin. It's no wonder we feel the brokenness in the world, again, in us and all around us. The greater impact sin is having, the more we actually feel it. And church, I, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but I can speak for our church and for us. Powered by the Holy Spirit, powered by his word, God has given us several tools to push back and overcome the effects of sin in us and around us. And one of the most powerful tools that he's given us is prayer. Prayer is foundational for seeing that brokenness is not all there is. In fact, in this next prompt that Jesus gives, he teaches his disciples and he's teaching us today about the pardon that comes from sin, but also the protection that he can give. His pardon from sin and the protection that he gives is all centered around one word. And that one word is forgiveness. Look again at this next prompt that Jesus gives in his model prayer in Matthew chapter six, verse 12. He says, pray like this, pray like this. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The next prompt that Jesus gives is all about forgiveness. Church, write this down. When it comes to praying for forgiveness, think heaven above. 
when it comes to praying for forgiveness, think heaven above. Note that Jesus said to pray. He said, pray, forgive us our debts. Now, he's not talking about student loans. He's not talking about paying off your mortgage, which would be fantastic. In fact, if I told you today, if you were to say, pray, God, forgive us our debts, and you went home and your $300,000 mortgage was wiped out, you might go run naked into the streets like praising God for him wiping out those debts. But what he's talking about here is how sin is a debt before God. In fact, the word debt here is this Aramaic term, which literally means the, the debt of sin, the weight of sin. And see, a price had to be paid for that debt. It's kind of like when the Apostle Paul says, look, for the wages of sin is death. That sin literally is earning us something. And it's this debt that builds up that can never be paid off. And more than any bill collector, this debt is earning us this eternity separated from God and a life filled with brokenness. In fact, to pay off that debt, we need something greater, some type of greater forgiveness than anything the government could ever offer us. That's why the gospel is so good, church. That's why the gospel is so good because it shows us the length and efficacy of what Jesus did to pay off that debt of sin. It's like what the apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter two when he says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Now, pause right there for a moment and look at that verse in Galatians chapter 2, verse 13. Notice what it says about us before Jesus intervenes. It says that we were dead. What do dead people do? Nothing. There was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. There was nothing that we could do to, to pay off this incredible debt that we owe toward God because of our sin. But because of what Jesus did, those debts can be canceled. Listen to what Paul said in verse 14. He says, look, look, he's, he's paid off all of our debt. He's forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. The debt of sin will break you, church, but it is Jesus that brings the relief. In fact, turn to the person sitting next to you this morning and tell him, look, hey, your debt is canceled. Your debt is canceled. And again, this is why the gospel is so good. Jesus, who is God, perfectly lived out God's design. And because he was God, he showed us how to live, how we could live in God's design because he was fully God and fully human. So he was a perfect payment for our sin. Jesus, who is God, died on the cross to pay for that debt relief that we so desperately needed. As his blood was shed, as he died on the cross, as he suffered, he literally took the wrath of God that our sin was earning us. The wrath of God that was to be poured out on us was taken on by Christ on the cross. So Jesus steps in and he nails these sins to the cross. And as he dies on the cross, he doesn't stop there. In fact, three days later, he bodily rose from the dead putting to death our shame, conquering sin, conquering death, and conquering the grave. 
In fact, you have trusted Christ. Not only was that record of debt canceled, you are no longer dead. You've been made alive. So anyone who repents of sin and believes and receives the gospel, your debt has been canceled and you have been made alive. So if that is true, if you trusted Christ and your debt has been paid, in fact, it's been canceled, then why is Jesus telling his disciples and even telling us today to pray, forgive us our debts? Write this down. It's because we still sin. Even after our debts have been canceled, even after we've trusted Christ, we still sin. I want you to think about two theological terms that will help us put this into perspective for the follower of Jesus. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this may even help you understand why someone who says they are a follower of Jesus may still either sin against you or even sin against God. Two theological terms to think about is one, justification and sanctification. Now, justification is freedom from the penalty of sin. Again, our debts have been canceled. And sanctification is overcoming the power of sin. Justification simply means, look, your sin debt has been paid for. So as we pray, look, God, forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins. We think about how we have been justified, that we have ultimately had all of our sins forgiven. We have ultimately had that sin debt canceled. Now, some people, some people kind of teach on this and they say, look, if, if, you don't, if you die and you sinned right before you died and you didn't confess that last sin before you died, then God's going to put you in some type of spiritual timeout. Or he may even try to make you walk the earth for years until you make all of your wrongs right. Now, besides being creepy, like that is not what the Bible teaches. First of all, who could ever live that way? Thinking about every moment, I better not miss this confession or I'm going to be a ghost or lose my salvation or end up in purgatory. Second, God doesn't want your eternity to be a mystery. That's why he made it so clear, like in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's why Jesus makes it so clear in John chapter 10, where he says, look, I call my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. No one can take me from my hands. No one can take my sheep from my hands. And it simply means that no one can pluck you out of the hands of Jesus once you've trusted him. Once once he has you, no one could ever take you away from now to eternity. So as we pray, we're reminded of the fact that we have been justified. Again, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So no longer are we under the penalty of sin, which is the separation from God for eternity in a real place called hell. But as we pray, we're also reminded that we don't live like it's hell on earth either. Freedom from the penalty of sin, justification. Overcoming the power of sin, sanctification. And this sanctification, it is a process. In fact, if you're looking in from the outside world, again, this could be one of those things right now where you think followers of Jesus might even be hypocrites. 
Because the closer that we get to Christ, you should hate sin even more. But see, the more we end up sinning, we realize that we still need the power of Christ every single day. But the more you sin, the more people will look at you and say, weren't you supposed to be perfect? Didn't you say a real change happened in you? And that's why sometimes it can look like the follower of Jesus are hypocrites. But the truth of the matter is, we don't hide the fact that we are still in process. We don't hide the fact that we are still sinners who are in need of a savior every single day. And thank God we are not where we used to be because of Christ in me. Thank God that we are in this process that he's working in us. In fact, our debt is canceled, but the truth is we still sin. But the good news is for the believer that God still forgives. When we're praying, Father, forgive us our debts. We continue to find this assurance in our justification, this freedom from the penalty of sin. But we realize that we are in process, that God is sanctifying us and we need his help every single day to overcome the power of sin, the grip that sin tries to have on our lives. So in this part of the prayer, look, we ask God, search our hearts, search us and show us any sins that we are committing in this season, that we are committing against him. In fact, when you're praying, Father, forgive us our debts, forgive, forgive us of our sins. I want you to think, God, God, show me, search my heart. Ask God to search your, search your heart and reveal any sin that is in your life in this season. It's kind of like what the writer of Psalm 139 says, what he says, look, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out a path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Let me just say this to you, church. God knows everything about you. He knows the things that you were thinking this morning that were against him, against people, against others. He knows what you were doing last night. He knows the deepest, darkest sins that you have never told anybody. In fact, I've even heard it said before that sometimes if people knew the thoughts that were flowing through our mind, they would literally move a couple of seats over from us right now. But God knows. He doesn't run away. He wants to forgive you, and he wants to lead you. In fact, listen how David continues in Psalm 139. He's saying, God, look, search my heart. God, you know every single thing about me. David says in verse 23, he says, search me. Like, search me again, God. Do it again. Search me. Know me. Everything in me says, oh, God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way, any sinful way, any, any debt lingering in me. God, search me, and if there be any grievous way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. When we're asking God to forgive our debts, we need to pause in our prayers and say, God, search my heart. Show me if there's anything in me that I need to confess to you. And then we, once we know that, we need to confess and actually repent of any sins. We actually confess and repent of any sins that God reveals or that we know that we have been doing. In fact, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says this. 
It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And John is actually writing this to people who have already trusted Christ, people who are in the church. And again, people have already been justified. That sin debt has been canceled, but God is working this process of sanctification in them. And he's saying, look, if we still think we have no sin, look, we are deceiving ourselves. But he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Church, I wanna challenge you that again, as you're praying, Father, forgive us our debts. As you're praying for forgiveness and thinking heaven above your relationship with the Lord, confessing sin before him, that you would also practice something called full confession. This is something that we do in our home. In fact, in our home, you are not allowed to simply say you're sorry. When you hurt somebody, you sin against them, you cause them pain, you can't just say, well, I'm sorry. Because if you think about it, that's kind of the way the world apologizes. That's kind of the the standard operating procedure, even out of Washington, where if someone does something offensive, what do they say? I'm sorry if you were offended. I'm sorry if what you think I did caused you any harm. And if you think about it, when you apologize like that or seek forgiveness like that, you're actually putting the responsibility of the hurt or the pain back on the person that you sinned against. And that is not what God is calling us to do. We are to confess our sins and repent of it, which means that the sins that we cause, we take ownership of it. So this is what we do in our home. Um, Anytime the kids or even the adults, my wife and I, we offend each other or sin against each other, we go to that person that we sinned against or offended and we say, you know know what, I'm sorry because I did this. I know it caused harm to you. I don't want anybody to treat me that way. Will you please forgive me? And I want to challenge you that you would do that same thing, not just in your home, but also with your relationship with God. Don't just say, God, I confess my sins, all of them, any of them, whatever you think they are. Because again, in some ways, you're even trying to put some of the responsibility or the blame back on God. But you own what you did to sin against the Lord. So instead of saying, God, forgive me of my sin, say, God, I said this week that I was going to spend time with you every single day. And God, I didn't. I lied. Would you please forgive me? God, this week, I've been spending so much time on Instagram. I've been looking at the life that Brittany has, and she has the boyfriend I wanted, the job that I wanted. She's taking the trips that I wanted, and I've been so filled with anger and jealousy and coveting against her. God, God, forgive me. That's not what you want from me. God, I've coveted. I've been angered in the wrong way. Lord, would you please forgive me? of my sin. God, I was lusting after someone else this week. You say in your word, if I even lust after someone, I've committed adultery in my heart. God, I am an adulterer. God, would you forgive me of my sin? Confess what you did to the Lord and repent of what you did. Church, we still sin, but God still forgives. And if that were good enough. 
God gives us the power to overcome sin. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And again, this sanctification is overcoming the power of sin, conforming us to the image of Christ. It is a process. In fact, listen to what Jesus says to pray again in verse 13. He says, pray like this. Pray, lead us not into temptation, but Lord, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, church. It is a reminder that you have a real enemy out there who really wants to hurt you and who really wants to do harm to you. And if you have not yet trusted Christ, the devil wants to keep you away from Christ. But if you have been saved, he wants to move you away from Christ. And there's a couple of notes about praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. First thing is to remember, look, God does not tempt us. When we are tempted to sin, that temptation does not come from the Lord. In fact, listen to what James says in James chapter 1, verse 13. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And again, church, this is when you give into sin, when you give into temptation and you lean into sin, it's a reminder that we take ownership and we confess it to God. We don't blame God for it, but instead we confess and repent and turn back to him. And then the second thing is just to remember, look, you do really have an enemy out there who really does want to harm you. First Peter chapter five, verse eight says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Again, temptation doesn't come from God, but we have a real enemy out there who does want to tempt us and wants to see our lives destroyed. Peter says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And then remember, look, temptation, when it comes, doesn't have to lead to sin. But God does want to lead you away from the temptation and lead you away from the sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When you are tempted, pray, God, deliver us from evil. God, lead me not into temptation. It doesn't come from you. Lord, lead me back to you. God, show me the way out. When you are in Christ, a sinful behavior pattern doesn't get to define who you are anymore. God does. Let his sanctification define you. And right now, if you're in a habitual sin, a sin that you keep going to or repeating to and you just can't seem to escape, church, it's been my prayer that once we got to this prompt in the model prayer, that you will become so sick and tired of those sins that keep getting repeated in your life. I want to challenge you that this would be the season that you would get so sick and tired that you would do whatever it takes to move beyond that sin and move back toward the Savior. 
In fact, you need to utilize the tools that God has given you. You need to get help or accountability from your small group or friend, a trusted friend or a counselor. And I also want to remind you that this really is spiritual warfare. You need to utilize the tools that God has given you to fight sin, whether that is his word or prayer or a little underutilized spiritual discipline called fasting. In fact, if you read the rest of this passage in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus goes in and he's talking about, he's talking about prayer and then he moves on. As he's talking about make sure you forgive other people because if you don't forgive other people, then your heavenly father won't forgive you. And he's talking about the power of forgiveness. Then right after that, he moves into this spiritual discipline of fasting that's tied into prayer. In fact, listen to what he says in verse 16. He says, and when you fast, just like he said, and when you pray, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Just like when he was saying, look, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. He says, for they disfigure their faces and their fast, so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting is simply giving up something for a time, usually food, to focus in on prayer, to focus on praying, God, your kingdom come in my life. Your will be done in my life. I trusted Christ 22 years ago. And 22 years ago, Right before I trusted Christ, pornography was something that was regular in the circles that I ran in. But after trusting Christ, it became a secret sin that I was ashamed of. And church, I'm even right now ashamed to admit this, but it was even four years after I trusted Christ, while I was in seminary, I was still looking at pornography. And I can remember thinking, I was so ashamed whenever that would happen. I, I, felt, I felt the conviction from the Lord, but I also remember there were seasons that I went to where I would try to justify it. and say, well, God, you haven't brought me a wife yet, so this is all on you. Or I'd feel, I'd say, God, you know, I'm, I'm so lonely in this season. Of course, like, this is okay. I even started to think, maybe this is all I am, and this is the way that it should be. But God will remind me of passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it says, this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. Or passages like Galatians chapter 5, where, where it talks about how, look, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Like there's freedom in Christ. That's what he wants for you now. That's what he wanted for me. I'm no longer a slave of sin, but instead a child of God. I remember I had a, a friend in that season and some pastors say, look, there's some things that only come out of your life that you can be able to overcome the power of sin, like through God's power by prayer and fasting. So I took a season because I was so sick and tired of going down this sinful road and being tempted that I took time to pray and I took time to fast. One of the hardest things I ever did, I fasted for 11 days and I just drank stuff but I made sure I took time to pray and to seek the Lord. But as God was, as I was taking that time to fast, it's like God began to break some things in me and renew me with his grace. But then I also, I got some guys around me to help keep me accountable. 
and a friend, some friends around me that will help keep me accountable. And God produced freedom as he was sought, as I fasted, as I took time to took the tools that he gave me to overcome the power that the sin had in my life. My identity was no longer found in my shame, but it was found in the Savior. It was found in Christ. And right now, some of you have decided to lean into a sin that has become habitual in your life. Right now, some of you decided to lean in because you think maybe this is all I'll ever be. You maybe have even been saying right now, maybe this is what God wants for me. Well, let me just say, even right now, God still wants to forgive you. And by the power of his spirit and his word, help from his church, the tools that he gives you, his grace is enough and his power can be made perfect even in that weakness. He still forgives and he wants to help you even right now to overcome the power of that sin. You are no longer defined by that sin, but instead defined by the Savior. So when we pray, God, forgive our sin, deliver us from evil, what do we do about when we're still feeling shame over that sin? You know, last week we talked about how God answers prayers. And one of the ways that he answers prayers is is, is he simply says, look, I've already made that clear from my word. And sometimes even after God forgives us, even after he helps us overcome that sin, even after he helps us move on, we still feel the shame of our sin. So when we're praying to God, God, what do I do about the shame? God has already made it clear. Romans chapter eight, verse one. Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In Galatians chapter five, verse one, Paul's right, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, which means stand in this new identity in Christ and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And remember how we started this prayer, how Jesus taught us to start this prayer as we're now in this part to pray, God, forgive us our debts. He he, he reminded us to start by saying, our Father in heaven. When we're praying our Father, we're reminded that, look, we are no longer a slave or a child of sin or shame. But we are now a child of our Father, a child of the King. You are son or daughter of God. Church, this is the will of God. This is his kingdom coming, his will being done, that you would experience the freedom from sin and the power of his forgiveness. You can overcome sin as you pray, as you fast, as you see that your identity is not in that sin, but in the Savior and what he promises to do and what he has done. So when it comes to praying for forgiveness, you think heaven above, that God has freed you from the penalty of sin but he's also sanctifying you. And yes, it's a process. But even right now, even if it's the thousandth time you've repented of a sin, he can help you overcome. But see, when we're praying for forgiveness, we also need to think earth below. When it comes to praying for forgiveness, think earth below. Look again at this part of the prompt that Jesus gives. He says, look, forgive us our debts. Pray like this, forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you give others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The type of forgiveness that we receive from God is the same type of forgiveness that we also need to translate and show to our earthly relationships here below. So as we're praying this prompt, it is good to ask God, God, who is it that I need to forgive and who is it that I need to seek forgiveness from? I want you to write this down, okay? I want you to write this down. Write down forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Write that down on your note sheet, okay? And once you have it written down, raise your hand up, okay? Forgive and forget. Forgive and forget once you have it written down. Now scratch it out, okay? You know, that statement is not entirely good, and it's not entirely true. And some people have taught, well, well God, God forgives and forgets our sins, so we need to do the same. But does God actually forget our sins? Look at Psalm 103. This is one of the passages that people use talking about how God, yes, he forgives, but also he forgets our sins. People would say, look, the psalmist wrote, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And again, there's such great distance in that. Like the east is from the west. That's pretty much like you can keep going with that. It's forever. It's forgotten. God does not remember our sins. But look at how this verse is in context. Back up to verse 10 in Psalm 103. It says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And again, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And some people try to use Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34 to say we, that God forgives and forgets and we also need to forgive and forget. And it simply says, look, for I will forgive their iniquity, God is speaking, and I will remember their sin no more. So some people say, look, we need to do the same, right? We forgive and we forget. But the truth is, church, God doesn't forget anything. You know, the word impute simply means to implicate or indict. And when we sin, there is this charge, right? A penalty that is imputed on us. The wages of sin is death. But what Jeremiah is writing about here is actually talking about how God does not impute that charge of sin on us when we are forgiven. And it's the same thing the psalmist writes that, that, that God responds to us, reacts to us in a way where he's no longer holding that charge of sin against us. So God doesn't forget the sinful things that we've done, but he chooses to respond to us in a way where he gives us grace. As we ask for forgiveness, like he gives us grace. As we ask for forgiveness, he provides us what we need. As we ask for forgiveness, he provides us with the love or strength or even discipline that we need to be able to continue to overcome sin. So as you pray, 
instead of thinking forgive and forget, I would rather you ask God to help you forgive and grow. Think that we need to forgive and grow. Now, this does mean that as you actually forgive someone, you don't or you shouldn't all the time completely dismiss what they did. Because for some relationships, you may have to set up some boundaries. For some relationships, you may have to set up some restrictions. For some relationships, even as you forgive the person, you need to move away. Because God doesn't want the toxicity or the abuse or the harm coming back at you. So sometimes it means that the door may have to close on a relationship, but it does still mean that you need to forgive them. You need to release them from their debts. Even if that means you need to set up some boundaries. Because when God forgives us, he remembers what we did, but he responds to us in a way that actually helps us grow closer to him. So sometimes even in a relationship, as you set up distance, that may be what that person needs to understand the forgiveness and the grace that they need to seek from God. In fact, look again what Jesus says, okay? Look again what he says in verse 14 through 15. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Again, this is not talking about justification here. When you trust Christ, your debt is canceled. You are going to heaven because you've trusted him, because it's all, it was all from him. He calls you, he holds you, he will not let you go ever. But this is talking about the sanctification process. And Jesus is saying, look, don't let the weight of unforgiveness, the sin of unforgiveness hold you back or weigh you down again. Don't be held back by the yoke of slavery, of unforgiveness, because this is offensive to God and it hurts your relationships with others. The forgiveness that we receive, it is a debt-canceling, freedom-producing forgiveness. And it's the same time that Jesus tells us to give to others. I've heard it said before that unforgiveness is almost like you're, you're drinking poison, hoping that the other person would die but all it's doing is hurting you and hurting your relationship with God. Forgiving someone means you grow. Forgiving someone means that you are conformed to the image of Christ. So we pray, yes, Father, forgive us our debts, but as we also forgive our debtors, we ask God to help us to give the same forgiveness that he has given to others. Author and pastor J.D. Greer, he says it this way. He says, look, no matter what somebody may have done to you, they have not done to you what your sin did to Jesus. So no matter what it is that somebody else has done to you, it still doesn't equate to the wrath that was poured out on Jesus because of our sin. Freely, we've been given forgiveness. Church, freely, we give. We release people from their debt. So when you are praying, look, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and for the Lord to not lead us into temptation, we seek this forgiveness from above. But as we're praying for forgiveness, we also think about earth here below. Who is it that I need to forgive? Who is it that I need to release them from their debt? We need to forgive 
and grow. And as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, you know, over the past four weeks, as we've gone through this series on prayer, every single week that we've gone through this series on prayer, we've been looking at each one of these prompts. And Jesus specifically gave these things because God doesn't need our prayers, but he wants them. And we need those prayers as well. So for the last few minutes of this service, I want to take some time and we're going to go through each one of those prompts and we're simply going to pray. We're going to put this into practice. You may remember from week one or two, I kind of taught you this prayer acronym, um, thinking about the word pray, P-R-A-Y. And it's just another way to think through the Lord's prayer. And each one of these represents one of the prompts that Jesus gave. So I'm going to walk you through each one of these and right where you are, silently where you are, I just want you to pray these things, okay? So go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. And when we're thinking about praying, we praise God. We say our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So right where you are right now, would you just take a moment and pray? Let's praise God for who he is and thank him for what he's done. Think about something in your life. Think about who God is and take time right now where you are to praise God for who he is and thank him for something that he's done. Now would you take some time and repent? Jesus said, pray like this, forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. Ask God to search your heart right now. Ask him to search it again. Say, God, if there's any grievous weight in me, maybe it was a sin this morning or last night or last week, you haven't confessed it to the Lord yet, would you confess that to him right now? But as you're doing that, would you also say, God, is there anyone I need to forgive? God, who do I need to release? Maybe the person that you need to release with forgiveness is even yourself. Repent and confess. Now would you ask, Jesus said, pray like this, give us this day our daily bread. What do you want? What do you need? Our Heavenly Father is a provider. Maybe it's not just for you. Maybe it's there's someone else right now you know is in great need. Would you lift up those requests to God? Part of prayer is positional, and we yield our lives, our agenda, our wills to his. So maybe it's something that you just repented of. Maybe it's something you were asking for. Would you say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
Not my will, but yours. Pray and submit that thing, whatever it was, to him. Father God, God, I do praise you for who you are. God, I praise you that you are still the God who forgives. And God, even if it's been a thousandth time I confess something to you, God, you still say that you will forgive us and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. God, thank you for the justification that you give and that when we trust you, God, we are freed from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is no longer death for the follower of Jesus, but we've received the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ. God, thank you for the assurance of your justification, the freedom from the penalty of sin. Thank you, God, that you are working in us still. God, I love the fact that you do not leave us. You do not abandon us. God, even though you know every single thing that's rolling around in our mind and our heart, that if other people knew God, they would run away. But you don't when you draw close. So I pray, God, that you would forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, I pray that we would be the type of church that doesn't hold on to unforgiveness because, Lord, it is poison for our souls. It's poison for our relationship with you poison for our relationship with others, but God, I pray that we would release just like you do. And God, I pray, Lord, that every single person in this room would know that their heavenly father provides for them. God, I pray that you would meet their need in accordance with your will. And I pray, God, you would get all the glory for it. And God, no matter how you choose to answer, Lord, whether it's a yes or no or a wait or by grace is sufficient or hold up, you need to repent of some sin some more. God, however you decide to answer, God, we say your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord. God, you are good. You are great. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's stand and sing one more song.